You may be seated. Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. So we're going along through uh, the early part of the book of Acts. If you have taken the time to read in the book of Acts, you have uh, seen a lot of things that we haven't really discussed or covered, and that's pretty obvious that time will not allow that. But our series title is Retro Church, and the whole point is, you know, learning from the original church, some of the things that we need to learn to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. Um, I think a lot of times our focus uh, is off. Many times uh, we look at this meeting right here as the full and complete objective of our church. You know, and it is an important part. I, I tell you, I couldn't do without meeting together with God's people, and I just need the time to uh, shake your hand and, and pat you on the back and, and get the same, and just the encouragement that comes from God's people. You, you can't do without that. We need that, and I don't know how people survive who call themselves Christians uh, believers, and they, and they just don't go to church. It really makes me wonder what's going on with them. Because we need this. We need each other. But really our objective as a church is far more than just this precious time we spend together. This is irreplaceable. This is something that we need, we must have as believers. But it doesn't stop there. And that's what we're seeing here in the book of Acts. It, it didn't stop with just them meeting. And we, we talked some about their meetings and the things that were important in their meetings early on. But we see that their ministry is going throughout Jerusalem. And you can see how many lives have been touched. We, we noticed in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 were saved. 3,000 men most likely were saved, and that didn't count the women and children that had come to the Lord. Uh, previously in Acts chapter 4, we noticed that 5,000 men had come to the Lord. This is a short span of time we're talking about, but that's just how infectious the church was. There were 5,000 men, again, not counting the women and the children who had come to Christ. So we're talking about thousands of people's lives that had been affected by the ministry of the church at Jerusalem. And that is significant. I mean, when that is happening, every church in, in the world today ought to stop and ask the question, what was going on? that caused them to be more effective or this effective and reach this many people. And so I've caught myself time and again asking that question. You know, what was it that was happening? What is going on here? What did they see as important? What was so significant that was happening there that caused them to reach so many people? And I will tell you, it was not just the ministry of... Uh, Peter and John, or the ministry of even the apostles, although they were hard at work the entire time. But it was infectious. 
And people were excited about what was going on. They were seeing lives changed, and the result of that was that they were reaching out to their relatives and their neighbors and everyone they could come in contact with and share with them what had happened to them and what had happened to them. Well, they saw the error of their way. They understood that they were sinners, as God has taught us in His Word. They knew that even though they were religious people, and even though they they had a religion that for the most part they were dedicated to, they understood that they were wrong. And they had to get to the place where they were willing to admit they were wrong. They had to repent. And they saw the way very plainly, the way being Jesus. He said, I am the way. They saw him, and he was declared before them as the one who had been promised, who was coming, and was going to take away the sin of the world. They realized Messiah has arrived. And they made the choice, the commitment, to follow him. They were so excited. And when we make that commitment to follow Christ, I, I don't know about you in particular, but I remember when I was 12 years old and I committed my life to Christ, it was an exciting event for me. It was so exciting, uh, and it is to revisit that moment when I, when I finally gave up and let, let God have my life. And that's the kind of excitement that is infectious. That is the kind of excitement that moves us to go and share the gospel with other people, and that's, that happens when we when we come to Christ. And so that's been, I can't even do the math very quickly in my head, so it's been too long. It's been a long time ago since I was 12. And for some of you, it might have been longer than that. And sometimes the cares of this world, including sin and all the burdens and the problems that we face, weighed us down, and quite frankly, you don't feel very excited, and you sure don't look very excited about what God has done, you know, and He has done so much for us. But all that was happening right there, and it was happening so quickly, and everyone was so excited, and it was like a disease, it was infectious. It was catching everywhere. And more and more and more people were coming to Christ as a result of that. Unity Baptist Church, you know, we're just a, a small and significant congregation of people in a, a city that is uh, somewhat growing. But if that were caught... could accomplish the same thing because it's the same God. It's the same God that they were serving and that they were following. Uh, someone said that, that that cannot be taught. It has to be caught. You know, the excitement is something that, that you, you can't express verbally to people and them get it. And it comes from an individual having an encounter with the living God. And that's what they were having. 
major encounters, one after the other. They were seeing God at work, and they were understanding who He was, and they, and they were changed by it, and they were changing their world. Today I want to talk to you about three necessary elements in being effective in our Jerusalem. Let's start at the end of that sentence, our Jerusalem. If we don't understand that, then maybe we can't go any further. And maybe that's why we haven't gone any further. I think that's it. Um, We don't see it and we don't get it. Some get it, but... Most of us don't really get it. What is our Jerusalem? I took a map and I and I calculated uh, ten blocks around this church. I drew it out on the map and I said, you know, this is our Jerusalem. And uh, I thank God for mission work that is happening all over the world. Brother Jim being in the Navajo Nation and our guys who are traveling all over the world to help people. But, you know, we're here. This is where we're planted. This is where, you know, that's where the pin drops. It's right here. And if you you say 10 blocks or 15 blocks or 20 blocks from this point, That's our Jerusalem. Whether you like it or not, that is where we are planted. And if we ignore and we are unwilling to reach our Jerusalem, then how can we expect to fulfill the remainder of the commandment? You know, go into all the world. And we want to go into all the world, and that's exciting. But if we skip this part, you know what will happen? If we ignore what's happening right here around us, what's going to happen? The same thing that has been happening. It has already been happening. And we've got to learn to concentrate on what God has given us. We've got to start right here. So... Necessary elements in being effective in our Jerusalem. If we identify our Jerusalem, then we can learn how we can be effective in reaching our Jerusalem. And uh, that is not necessarily an easy process. And that's, you know, it doesn't just automatically happen just because now we know what our Jerusalem is and we know what our target is and we know where to start. Just knowing where to start doesn't make it happen. But being engaged and getting involved in our Jerusalem to be able to reach them, uh, it's not as easy as what it sounds. Now let's begin with verse 5, or verse 1 of chapter 5. The scripture says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Have you not, or you have not lied to men, but to God? Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young man arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she, she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Wow. You say, well, how does that relate to our Jerusalem? And why did God even put that in there anyway? And why would God do that? Just take the lives of this couple just because they told what they thought probably was a little lie, a little deception. It's not going to hurt anyone. And they died. So in placing all of this, trying to, uh, to get the application for us here today, to, to determine three necessary elements in, a, in effectively uh, reaching our Jerusalem, the first thing that we need to understand is that we must have an honest motive. We've got to have an honest motive. I mean, let's get real. We, we can't fool God. And sometimes we try to fool God or we try to fool others, you know. We want to put on a big show or a big front. You know, we don't want everybody to see us the way we really are. You know, let's put on the dog for people. When we are who we are, we are who we are. You know, I've determined that over the years. I am who I am. That's just who I am. Somebody famous said that. Was that Popeye the sailor man? Yeah, I thought so. You know, that's who I am. So why would I try to be something that I'm not when this is who I am? This is who God designed me to be. You know, I want to be the best at what God has uh, given me, but this is, who I, this is who we are. Unity Baptist Church is a unique church. There is not another church like Unity Baptist Church. We, uh, we are very strong in so many ways. And we have so many wonderful people with wonderful hearts, but why would we try to be somebody else? You know, there are a lot of churches that are filled with people who are just, they just want to be something that they're not. We, we all know that honesty is the best policy, so why would we try to put on a front to try to be something that we're not? You know, we are who we are. Let's be 
who we are. If we're going to be effective in reaching our Jerusalem, wherever we would, would find ourselves, we will not be effective if we are deceptive. And if we're not fully being who God intended for us to be. Because what God sees and what God intends for us is no doubt most of the time different than what the world is wanting to see. And a lot of times we are more interested in filling, uh, fulfilling what the Lord uh, or what the world wants us to be than what we, the concern we are about what the Lord wants. We're, we're just so interested in, in doing the will of the world. You know, the way we look, the way we dress, the way we act, uh, all of this a lot of times is governed not by what God says, but by what the world says. It is so important that we understand that we, we've just got to be honest. And I think when you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, you see a man who was, he was so honest, it hurts. He said, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And we look at him and we think, you know, that's one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest men that ever lived. Uh, we sing his praises to a point. We know he was a human. But he looked at himself and he said, you know, this is just who I am. And I even persecuted the church. I'm nobody. We look here at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and it is not a story that we would like to emulate, but we understand that they were not honest with God or with people. Peter said, you know, it's not that you were dishonest with people, it was that you were dishonest with God. That's the problem. You were lying to the Holy Spirit. You were even deceiving yourselves. So this honest motive is something that is very, very important. Now, we don't know their motive, okay? That's something we all need to learn today if we don't already understand that. We don't know people's motives. You don't know my motive. I don't know your motive. I don't know why you do what you do. You don't know why I do what I do. Sometimes we can try to figure it out and maybe we're close, but let me tell you somebody who does know our motives, and that is God. He's looking through the facade. He knows what's in here. He knows. He knows why we're here today. You know, we, we might think, well, you know, they, they did this because they were greedy. Or they did this because they wanted to look just as spiritual as everyone else because there was a trend going. You know, there were several people who had sold all of their possessions and had given all of their money to the church. So they wanted to look like everybody else. Maybe it was fear. Maybe they thought, you know, we, we can't exist if we give all of this. Well, God didn't ever tell them to give it all to begin with. They just said, you know, we're giving it all. And they didn't. They lied. So whatever their motive was, I'm not really sure what was going on there, but the fact is they lied to God. It's important that we check our motive because you can't fool God. 
You can't fool God. You can fool people. You can fool me. But you cannot fool God. God sees you through and through, and He knows everything that is going on, and He knows every thought that is in your heart and in your mind. And so why would you try to fool Him? There are people who rob God. You know, they, they want everybody to think that they're on the same page with everyone else and just as spiritual and committed as everyone else while all along they're, they're pocketing their tithes or their time for selfish reasons. So you can fool me, you can fool the people, but you can't fool God. It's important that we come clean with God. Why do we go to church? I, I think that probably a lot of people go to church. I'm not sure, but probably in their whole thinking is, you know, I just want to get something out of it for myself. I hope I get something from it. And church was never designed for that. Have you ever left and thought, I didn't get a thing? Church is all about giving. Church is about you coming to this place and you giving everything. Now, true, you're going to be blessed when you give, but if you just came here to get and you're like, you know, God, just fill me for my weekly filling, God wants you here to give. You give adoration and praise and worship to Him. You give encouragement and strength to those around you. It is a place of service. It is why we come together, to serve one another. One of the reasons we struggle with this honesty and struggle with this motive is because of the way we came here. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And we're reminded that God is looking and God knows. And God wants more than anything for us to fully understand our own motive, why we're doing what we're doing. If we can find a pure motive in all of this, and we're doing this for the right reason, God is going to honor that. I have no trouble in believing that whatsoever. So if we're going to be effective in reaching our Jerusalem and ministering to our Jerusalem, then our motive must be honest. The second thing I noticed from this chapter, a lesson that we need to learn and why God had used them and blessed them so much is because they had a mighty partner. They weren't a partnership uh, that was extremely bent towards their advantage. It really gets old and tiring and futile and pointless and empty and vain. when we're doing this by ourselves. 
if we're just doing church, going through the motions, and it's all on us, and we plan it all out, and we have it all ready, you know, it's all boxed up and ready for Sunday morning or Sunday night, and, and we're all alone, I tell you, that is an empty, empty feeling. What you find when you read on in this chapter is that they had a partner. They had a partner called the Holy Spirit, God. For us to think that we can be effective in reaching our community on our own is stupidity, actually. For us to think that we can, uh, can do anything of any eternal value based upon our own ability is ignorance. But we have a partner in the Holy Spirit. If you read verses 12, beginning there, you will see, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and you can visualize this gathering of thousands of people there at Solomon's porch, and they were together, they were in one accord, there was electricity in the air, if you please, there was excitement all around them. They were impacting their community. They were impacting their neighborhood, their Jerusalem. It was growing. And it was not because they were just good. It wasn't because they were highly educated. It was not because they were so skilled at sharing words But it was because God was there. When God is there, when God is here, and He is here, when God is here, that makes all the difference. And we stand in awe of Him. When Isaiah had his vision in the very presence of the Lord, he said, Woe is me, for I am unclean. When God shows up, it impacts everyone there. And it impacts the neighborhood, the community. If we are truly a light that is shining in this community, and we are impacting our neighborhood and impacting our community the way God has called us to be impacting them, they're going to see that God is here. They're going to understand, you know, that's, that's not just a bunch of people trying to do some good things in the neighborhood. That is God. He is present. He is working. He is changing lives. He is straightening out people whose lives are totally ruined. That's God doing that. Only God could do that. Only God could do what was happening here. Signs and wonders. That's the means by which God chose to demonstrate himself to the people in the absence of the written word. They needed to know that these men were telling the truth. What God is saying is coming through these men. And it was demonstrated mightily through the working of the Holy Spirit. And today we have still the working of the Holy Spirit. We're not seeing it in signs and wonders 
Because now we have the completed Word of God. And when you open the Word of God, you find something very unique. And that is that Jesus said, when I leave you, I will leave a helper, a partner, so that you can do the work of the ministry. If you read in the book of John chapter 14, you will find several things that he says about this partner who would come and work with us to ensure that we will be able to do the work because without him, remember, we cannot do the work. Verse 14, or verse 15 of John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now that might be a qualifying statement there. It certainly is if we're expecting to do anything or accomplish anything for, the, for God. If we're not willing to obey him, then you know, we're already doomed. But then in verse 16, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. So he's saying this partner, this helper that is going to come and be with us is going to be there. He's not going to walk out on us. He's he's not going to change his mind, but he's going to be there. So we as a church can count on the Spirit of God being here. He is not going to forsake us. He says, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what's he going to help us with? He's going to teach us. He's going to help us understand the Word. Not only is he going to be here, but he's going to be involved in us grasping the Word and the will of God in our lives. In chapter 16 and verse 8, it says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that's a big one right there. Because our words, when we speak even good words, they go about this far and they fall to the ground. But when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God that you have spoken, the truth and the gospel of Christ that you have spoken... He takes it and he penetrates the hearts of men. We cannot do that. He convicts the world. He convinces them of their need. It is, we have a desperate need for this mighty, all-powerful partner who is our ally, who is our helper, who is our comforter, who is walking with us to accomplish the will of God. He said he will guide you in all truth. He said he will tell you things to come, enlighten our mind. So our effectiveness is not limited to what we can humanly accomplish. We must get that. It doesn't depend on what we can humanly accomplish. If it only depends on what we can humanly accomplish, then we're doomed. That is a significant statement because all too often we are only willing to attempt what is humanly possible. You say it is impossible for us to reach every person within a 10 block radius of this church. 
What is impossible with man is possible through God. And yes, that seems impossible. That seems far-fetched. That seems way out there. But when you take into account our partner, the one who is working beside us, the one who is our helper, who can penetrate the heart of humanity, then you understand that it doesn't depend upon our ability to save people or to convert people. But as he said at the beginning, just obey and do what I say and let God do the rest. Finally, the remainder of the chapter, verses 17 through 42 We're not going to read all of that. Time will not allow, but I hope you will take time. And here's what you're going to find, that they had an enduring determination. The reason that I say that is because they had raised a ruckus. They'd already healed this man. We read about that. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto you. And they healed the guy, and that stirred up the people. And all these curious people came to Solomon's porch and they started hearing. Now we're reading about thousands and thousands of people who are coming to Christ and they are now all gathering there like a loving mob, if you please, gathered around, excited to hear what the apostles are going to say next. And it really rubbed the Jews the wrong way. They did not like that because now these people who were once Jews and giving their tithes to the temple, now they have their loyalty has just changed. Now they're followers of Jesus. It was not a good thing for them. They were angry and they wanted to put it to a stop. And so what you're going to find when you began reading here Just notice verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. They didn't like it. They didn't like it so much that they arrested them, and they put them in prison, and God freed them. Read it. God freed them from prison. Miraculously. And what did they do? They didn't leave. They didn't say, okay, we give up. They went right back to preaching. They kept on sharing the message. They were determined. They were not going to quit. It didn't matter whether they were put in jail. It didn't matter what the government said to them. It didn't matter what the neighbors said to them. They were going to do what God had told them to do. They were going to be obedient. And so they were. And over and over again, you will see that happening. Now, where does determination come from? How could they be so determined? How do we get it? I would say it comes from conviction. You've heard people say, you know, I just have strong convictions about that. And, And to be convicted about something is to being so convinced from the Word of God and the Spirit of God that something is right and necessary that you can't not do it. I am so convicted 
I am so convinced that there is nothing that is going to stop me from doing what God has told me to do. That's why they were so determined. And in Hebrews 12.1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the race that is set before us. And we must run it with endurance. We must not give up. For we shall reap in due season if we don't faint. We must be determined. So you see them over and over again bumping their heads against a wall. And they just kept coming back. So what did we learn from this chapter? We learned, first of all, that it's got to start right here with the right kind of motive. From our church, we've got to have the right motive. Individually, we, we need the right motive. We've got to have it. If we're going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, it's time for all of us to check our motive and ask ourselves the question, why? Why do I want to be a member? Why do I want to serve in this church? Why am I here? Why? I mean, let's just lay it all out. Why? Maybe you're thinking, you know, the preacher is just so good looking. You know, I just got to come to this church. Well, find out why, okay? I know that's not it except for my wife. But find out why. We need to know. And when our motive is right, and we're here for all the right reasons, then understand that we have a mighty partner. We're not in it alone, and he's going to see us through. And be so convinced and convicted about what God has called us to do, there is nothing that is going to stop us from reaching our Jerusalem. God help us to have that kind of conviction. Let's pray together. Father, we need you desperately because we know that without you, we are already washed up, finished. It's done. But with you, there is no limit and no end of what can be accomplished. Examine our hearts and examine our motives. And Father, we just pray that our motives are pure and right. And we're not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes or be what we're not. That we are just your servants and that's why we're here. And we want to serve and we want to make an impact for you. And we want to make a difference in our community and all over the world. Because we love you. And I pray, Father, that you will strengthen us all. That we can have the fortitude to stand up and do what is right in your eyes. Thank you again for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name.